0: Roy, I'm going to level with you right off the bat with this one. Um, after our last entry, I. I don't know. I don't know how to even compare. I don't know how we can in any way, shape or form um, meet the standards that we set after watching the film Shock Month last week. Uh, I, you know, I, but I'm, I'm out to succeed here and I like a challenge. So, um,
1: we're gonna give it a shot. Give it a shot. This film is, I had not seen this film before, or I I had a long time ago. I think I saw bits and pieces of it because I do remember some of the stuff from the film. But, god, it's been forever. And (laughs) yeah, this is a fun little piece of cinema.
0: Yeah, you know, the reason I picked this film, I
1: had originally had
0: another film in mind. Um, And I kind of last minute uh, changed it for myself because the thing with this movie is, like, I have this weird, like, nostalgic um, fondness for this film. It's one of those titles that, like, I just remember seeing multiple times on TV as a kid and being really, um, A, as a child, terrified of it. um, And, B, really, um, as I aged, I was still really, like, I don't want to say impressed, but I found the effects... The creature of facts very enjoyable. Um this movie is um, a, a lovely tribute to the sci-fi films of yesteryear. And it's put in the hands of Toby Hooper, who we know for some pretty like violent and graphic horror films. And for Toby Hooper to it to handle a, a title, like a remake of invaders from Mars, the 1986 remake, that is the title that we're going to be exploring today. Um, it, it has a really interesting and unique result. I can't think of a lot of titles to compare to it. Uh, aside from maybe just saying that it's pretty obvious that this was around the era of like the ET craze, you know, they were really trying to capture that kind of energy with this title. Um, and it, but instead it kind of came out as its own thing and I really appreciate it for what it is.
1: Yeah, I, I was surprised that Toby Hooper directed this, uh, but not in a bad way because it does show you know his kind of um, eye as a filmmaker because there was a lot of, uh, of scenes in this film that definitely gave me a poltergeist vibe. So yeah, I, I definitely could see, but this is a far cry from like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or the Funhouse. It's a completely different, style and type of film and when you say that you know you have a lot of nostalgic memories for this film i can see like this is going to be a a nostalgic film for many people that kind of grew up in the 80s and saw this as a child because yeah i i I totally get that because this if the film almost seemed like it was made for kids and not really adults it does it does but you know
0: it's funny because like once you get to like a halfway point with this film um, the like the first half of it, I would say, is very much like a light, a very light take on like an invasion of the body snatchers. Like there's there's humor, and uh, it's all very like wink, wink. Like these aliens are very obviously aliens. Like like these people, the people that have been taken by the aliens do not hide their presence. Like you might get in a movie like an invasion from the body snatchers, where it's a little more subtle. Um, but once you get like to the halfway point of this film, it does kind of amp up the scare factor and the gore. Once you introduce the aspects of like military and their machine guns and everything, you know, it kind of becomes its own thing. um, And I appreciate for that, for that. So I'm excited to to delve into this film Um, before we do give me the basics. I know you were just traveling. Tell me everything.
1: Oh, you know, yeah, it was my spring break last week. So that's, that's why we're a little bit late getting this next episode out because I have been very uh, Please that we pretty much have been getting an episode out a week for the last several weeks. We're on a roll. This is our episode sixteen. I cannot believe we've my done, god I know right. I cannot believe we've done this sixteen times and people are still oh there. my god and people are still well there. that and we've also had two bonus episodes. Yeah. Don't you
0: forget it. So we're technically I mean if you sat down and counted them we're at eighteen. We're almost at twenty. And I say once you hit twenty you're a real podcast. So we're getting
1: there. We are getting there because there are several podcasts that I started to listen to and like was really digging. And then they just like all of a sudden just quit putting out episodes. Um, Not us. We don't want to do that because we do. Not us. We we are getting listeners. I I look at our stats and our, our, our statistics and our listenership is increasing each week, which is what we want even on the older episodes. So it seems like people are discovering these new episodes and going back and listening to some of the older ones. So that's really cool to see because I mean, this is, We, we, I think I speak for both of us when I said, we just love doing this. We love talking about these films, uh, sharing our opinions and, um, yeah. So we're going to keep doing it as long as people keep listening. So,
0: oh my God, I love it. I love it. I found myself today looking at a new microphone. I literally just bought this microphone. Not too long ago. I'm already looking at a newer, better one. I just like doing this and I want to keep on doing it.
1: I need to get one. I need to get a new one too. We need to take this seriously and seriously, we, we will when our second season hits, it's going to be a whole new pizzazz, but that's a conversation for another time.
0: Um, But um, right now I'm really happy with the progress and I think our fans are too. And I really hope they're happy with the selection we have today.
1: Yeah, they will be. I think so. But anyway, other than that, I mean, yeah, the week I, I spent traveling this past week, it was my spring break away from school. So I went and I drove back to Iowa from Houston, which was a nice 16 hour one way drive. But I got to spend time with, you know, family, which is always nice and came back and got back into the swing of things. So that's really about what I've been up to. What about you? Oh my God. The last few weeks have
0: been quite, um, quite a whirlwind in the best possible way. First of all, weather is getting really nice here in Cleveland. So I've been basking in it. Um, I recently, I don't even know. It's been a couple of weeks since we've recorded because of of our schedules, but I, um, I recently accepted a role in the film, the people in the trees. I don't know if I even told you that. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm really excited for that. Um, I recently uh, had a really great meeting with, um, Uh, the company behind the the title Domestic, and I'm really happy that's moving forward. Um, I've been super happy with the uh, reception thus far from everything we've released for my title Rebirth. Uh, We have three clips out right now, and we're about to release our fourth next Friday. Every other Friday, we're dropping a new clip from the film leading up to the release on June 4th. So um, we've just been getting a really positive reception. I'm so excited. I'm feeling really gung-ho when it's all things horror, when it's all things... Film, um, I feel like this is a good year and I want to keep up that momentum. So, yeah, I'm going to Atlanta um, on Thursday to visit my very best friend, Kayla Newberry. Uh, she's an amazing actress. You may recognize her from titles I've been in, such as American Poltergeist, The Curse of Lilith Ratchet, where she played my lover, but you never know it. Um, and Mother Krampus 2 Sleigh Ride, where she plays my friend and cohort. Um, and we've since gone on to become very good friends. So, I'm going to go visit her, see, see some film people in at Atlanta. So, if any of our fans are in Atlanta in the next, um, next couple of days, say hi, give a shout out. I'd uh, love to, uh, love to uh, catch up with you and chat hard and maybe talk about this title that we're delving into today Invaders from Mars, 1986
1: invaders from mars well you sound like you've, you've had a very productive last couple of weeks and yeah Atlanta's always a fun time so i'm sure you're going to enjoy that
0: so. yes yeah it's been great honestly uh, i'm excited to move forward towards the summer too because it's going to be a good year i got my shot did you get yours you said yes right i did yeah you did yeah. yeah i got mine too i'm feeling good i'm feeling healthy living my
1: life well at least the shot was not in the back of our neck <laughs>
0: there's that transition i was looking there's for transition. <laughs> <laughs> yes oh my god what a horrible place to get an injection you'd be like a spinal tap
1: it, it was it looked pretty painful
0: yeah when i see one karen black laying there uh passed out with a giant power drill just slowly making its way towards her neck oh my god but we'll get there we'll get there this movie um
1: this film's a remake. Let's dive right into Invaders from Mars.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Um, it's a remake of a, of a sci-fi film from 1953, film of the same name. Uh, that film is standard sci-fi fare. If you're a fan of films from that era of that genre, it fits right in. Lots of cheesy effects. Um, a child who has witnessed a UFO land in his backyard and he's trying to tell people, but then he's starting to find out, oh no, everybody's been taken over by the aliens. And so this film follows the exact same formula very closely, but with a, uh, with a Toby Hooper touch. Um, One thing I appreciate kind of right off the bat is even though this is a very evolved piece of cinema for him compared to like a Texas Chainsaw massacre, a lot of his techniques and his like go tos, you still like get glimpses of. Like, there's a lot of follow. There's a, a follow shot sequence, mm-hmm. you know, through the classroom. Um, there's a whole sequence in a vehicle with a lot of like close ups on like animal um, skulls and everything that felt very Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it had like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is very much a hand, um, uh, an example of Toby Hooper making this film his own, and I appreciate that about this film.
1: Yeah, uh, and right away, I mean, the opening credits are probably the most 80s thing I've ever seen in my life. They, oh my God. Like, they come flying out at you with this, like, whooshing sound. It's like, whoosh. And they're like... It is so dramatic. <laughs> it is so funny. I was just like, okay, this is this is kind of... And they literally go on for three minutes, which is... I was just going to say... It goes on forever. Cinema time—that's a lot. It, it, it goes on forever. It's cute at first. It's, <laughs> it's stylistic at first, but after twenty minutes, I'm like, okay, this. is... Well, they give you everybody, and this like, the, like basically,
0: like the whole shit of it is like every title card comes flying at the camera in a very like, in a spoof of like a 1960s style, but it reads very nineteen eighties because you're right, that sound effect. But um, they give everyone their moment in the spotlight. <laughs> like they're like, they're like first boy, like. <laughs> <laughs> like, all gappers, whoosh, like individually. Like it is it is pretty um drawn out and it's very dramatic because the music, the score of this film is great, I think it's very up the time, but like they start big and it's all like big grand swelling sci-fi music. They start on a big note.
1: Mm-hmm. So after yeah, after these opening credits, we are introduced to our protagonist and his father who is the little boy's name is David, David Gardner and his, his father. They are laying in the backyard talking about space that they, and the stars. And um, it's apparent that they have a really good relationship, kind of a nice wholesome family. Uh, yeah. They, yeah, it's, it's definitely a good, de- a good depiction of kind of the nice wholesome family. Cause even the mom comes out and she's very wholesome and it's a, uh, you know, there's this whimsical score that's playing over what they're what they're doing. And the mom's like, oh, David, you need to go to bed. And he's like, no, I'm not going to bed. Shut up. I'm staying up. And he, Yeah, it's just a very. Yeah, they do a really good job of creating a very natural, likable
0: bond between this family. Um, and like to start off, it's, they're all played pretty well. Like the father of George is, play, is played by. I have to say his name, <laughs> like, Timothy Bottoms.
1: It's, it's, just, it's
0: just the way his name is. Um, but And like the father is, like, really warm, which is intentional. It's obviously done this, this way because there's a severe contrast that happens pretty early on in the film. But And and the mother is um, delightful, a delightful Lorraine Newman, whom, mm-hmm. give me Lorraine Newman any, any day of the week, um, but their energy is just very warm and they obviously like love the sun. It was enough that like the sun says shit very early on in the film and there's like not really a response from the parents because they obviously have a very comfortable relationship the way they talk to each other. This is played very well and this is smart because as the film does progress, the turn that happens uh, needs to be obvious and because of this, it raises the stakes, uh, in my opinion. The kid, Hunter Carson is the son of karen black (laughs) and i it's like he's not here's the thing he's not bad in my opinion there's just a few things playing against him here a the child is very annoying um the kid delivers his dialogue fine like he's he's a a competent actor he's just playing a very annoying character and his voice is hard to listen to and like one of the things that's very off about the film for this character is a large amount of his dialogue sound, sounds dubbed over i don't know why this is but like there are several points where you hear a line like the volume levels just seem very off compared to the rest of the dialogue and it's just obviously an ADR moment and it really like just makes his performance that much more annoying but i feel bad like we're giving the kid a fair shake because as, as far as like child actors though like He's not awful. He's just extremely obnoxious.
1: Yeah. No, he's not. Well, there are. We'll get to. it, But there are there are particular scenes where I think he's awful. Um, but for the most part, he delivers a pretty solid um, performance throughout the film. But there are there are a, a few scenes where I thought yeah. he was bad, and it, it was maybe because you know he was trying to project emotion and just didn't have the acting chops to be able to do it so it came off as very uh stilted and stagey and just you could fake but that but that, you know but no he he he's mm-hmm. he's good but the character itself is annoying and but I think that that's done on purpose when we get to the end of the film to kind of figure out kind of what really is going on if you know what I mean I think that the character then it then it justifies the character being a little bit more annoying than if the ending isn't what it is what its does that make sense
0: right no yeah i i totally get what you're saying and like yeah i i don't i i think i i feel like i almost exactly know what you're saying in the sense of certain moments with him are very wooden because i think it's the moments where he's projecting like he's more intense moments because he has a very like Pitchy voice to begin with. He's always sounds like he's talking like, like, and I kind of a yell. So when he's actually yelling, it just, it's just like a slightly louder version of the same tone. It's, and it's very hard to listen to, but he's trying. He's giving it his all. And I, uh, kudos to him for that.
1: Obviously, I mean, it'd be bad if he didn't, but he, he obviously has really good chemistry with Karen Black, uh, which I mean, <clears throat>
0: Oh yeah, yeah, and we'll get to Karen, but she's definitely one of the I think the most redeeming aspects of the film in general. Um, so we'll talk about that.
1: But yeah, so you get you yeah you get this you get the really cool relationship between the family, and yeah, there are some little things like him cussing and nobody's really saying anything about it, uh, and then he goes to bed, and this is when we get the scene with the spaceship that lands in the backyard. Yeah, so there's like and this
0: huge thunderstorm. And the, this scene in general, it's like, (laughs) it's a mixed bag for me because literally depending on the angle of the spaceship, like one angle looks really 1980s and poorly done. And one angle when it's landing in the backyard makes the spaceship look massive and terrifying. So like, it's kind of one of those things you kind of just have to take it for what it is. It is like obviously some blue screen work. Um, but this massive UFO lands in this Sandpit, beyond the hill <laughs> you keep hearing out about beyond the hill it's a very prominent area in the film
1: Copper hill is what it's apparently called copper hill right yes copper hill, hill. um
0: it's it, it's it's an ominous place and for multiple reasons and it looks as such so the, the kid sees this ufo he wakes up his parents and um they come running in and they think he's like having a nightmare because of this extremely epic Lightning storm that's happening outside. That is quite terrifying uh, Understandably, so I mean I guess it's
1: and this is where this this whole scene is gave me. This is what gave me poltergeist yeah. vibes. it's filmed very similarly with like the flashing blue the lights the flashing blue light and just the dramatic Camera sweeps and stuff. It's very and I was this is where I thought, okay, yeah This is toby hooper because you can definitely tell it looks much It looks very much like the scene in poltergeist when there's the storm before the tree comes in the window. Yeah yeah. So they get him back, and go, like they lay him
0: back in bed. He li- he literally like instantly sits up and he just looks obviously out towards the hill. Um, but it cuts to the next morning and the mother is going about her morning. Um, and the doors open and they look and they see the father come back from the outside. He was obviously out of the hill. And when he walks into the house, um, George is like in a, in a weird daze and he's missing a slipper and instantly, and one thing I like about this film and the way the script is handled, is instantly they notice something is off about him. Like, and the way the father, because I watched this through a, a few times, and the way Timothy Bottoms plays this moment, like, I literally see the moment when, like, this, I'm guessing there's an alien controlling him, <laughs> because he, like, walks in the house, and she, like, looks around, and he's like, where the fuck am I? And then he's like, uh, okay. Like, you can see the, like the, the confusion in his eyes, and then he, like, sits down, and the mother starts serving him food, but she's like, are you okay honey you seem a little off like they realize it right off the bat
1: yeah which is which is good because it's it doesn't really yeah because you know right away something's something's up whereas a lot of these films would probably take the alternative route and try to be like oh is there something wrong with them or is he just but yeah no you definitely know that this dude is there's something wrong with him particularly when the mother pours him his coffee, and then leaves for her class that she's going to. Because the father in front of the little boy proceeds to take a container of Tic Tacs or breathless and pour yes. them in his coffee and then guzzles the coffee down to the point where the coffee is like spilling out of his mouth onto his shirt and he starts chewing these mints and I'm like, oh... No. And the kid's like,
0: Dad, are you sure you're okay? Like, the thing I do like about this kid is he, no, nothing's getting past him. Like, this kid ain't stupid. He's a sharp tool. And, and, the, and the father is, like, ominously like, yeah. I'm fine. Hey, why don't we go back to that hill? And the kid's, like, having none of it. The kid knows right off the bat that his father is, whatever happened at that hill, he knows it's associated with his father's acting
1: off. Um, and he sees and he sees the, the bandage the, the, on his the back of his father's neck. Yeah, well, he sees the actual wound because the father has just gotten back. And so he instantly inquires
0: about the neck and the father just completely disregards it. And again, the father's performance in this whole sequence, because he was so warm and lovable towards the kid in the first scene or two, to see him being so robotic and cold, the transition is great. He does these little things with his hand. Like at one point he motions to the kid to like come close and there are these big exaggerated like very wooden movements and it literally like looks like he is being controlled by an alien you know it, it's it's really well handled i do like the sequence a
1: lot it is it is it's it's a definitely a stark contrast to the opening scene um and you know it shows kind of the fan the family dynamics and how i think how well the family really knows each other because you're right the kid right away knows something's up and, yeah, when he goes outside, the dad wants to walk him to his bus stop. And on the way there, the dad's like, oh, yo, you sure you don't want to go by by the hill? And the kid is like, no, dad, and just, like, runs away from him. So at least the kid is smart. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> these aliens, like, they're getting right to work. Like, he's
0: he tries to lure the child within minutes of encountering him. So, like, it's pretty clear that these aliens are getting down to business. And the kid wants none of it. So he runs and gets on the bus. And um, he goes to school. And (laughs) once you get to the school, you're introduced to Mrs. McCouch, who is played by, um, like, an award-winning actress. Like, let's keep in mind that she won the Academy Award, okay, for um, Nurse Ratchet in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Lorraine Newman. No, it's Louise Fletcher. Or, or I just said Lorraine Newman. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Louis <laughs> Fletcher. Lois Fletcher, who um, played Mrs. Ratchet in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Next and uh, was also in Flowers in the Attic, amongst like all these other classic films, and she's playing this character who is so over the top. <laughs> you know, she was nominated for a Razzie for this, right?
1: I did. I did. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, this is Louise Fletcher. Yes, you are absolutely right. She won the Best Actress Oscar for playing Nurse Nurse Ratchet, probably one of the most iconic. Uh, villains in film history. And then she went on to do other little things like, uh, exorcist two, um, flowers in the attic. Like you said, this, um, some other things, but I feel like she's always kind of been typecast after nurse. Yeah. Like Anthony Perkins after doing psycho. Yeah. You can't really escape that iconic performance, but in this, she is just, uh, I don't know if she deserved a Razzie nomination. She didn't. She did not. <laughs> she did not. No, it's it's just a very grando- grandiose performance in a film that's a little bit I don't know. Um, and I have to say, I knew I
0: fucking knew. Uh, between Lorraine and Louise, I knew I was going to say the wrong one, and I've been counting down to it. I co- totally lost my thunder. But um, no, she. Um, I mean, honestly, it's over the top. But considering the situation that she is possessed by an alien force. Like I think this is a really well played role. It
1: is. But even but even before she's possessed she is kind of a bitch. And but, but pause pause pause
0: hear me on this. Listen, I don't think we ever see her not possessed. Oh. Because right off the bat with the, the frogs, she's like I was up at the hill and I found the frogs. I think she's possessed right off the bat. That's why it's always so over the top.
1: Okay. I did not Get that at all i thought that i mean you're right though because she did go get the frost so you um, you may be 100 right and i didn't even think about that i would just think god damn this teacher's a bitch but you yeah are, but you are yeah you are right she probably then she probably is possessed that date f- the first time we we're introduced to her because the first time we we're introduced to her she's i mean she's teaching a class she's kind of very pleasant at first uh, they're teaching frog. It's frog week. I'm like, oh, that's a cool thing. We have shark week. What a week. But she's like, oh, show me what these flaps are. What just can anybody show me? And well one of the little girls is, you know, hey miss, can you can you help me? There's a little boy who takes a frog and throws it at the little girl. This little girl in the whole movie, her name's Heather in the film. And she has these humongous fucking pigtails. <laughs> They are, I mean, they're Oh my huge. God, they're so ominous. And uh, it hits her in the, this frog hits her in the face. And she's like, ah. Eh. And Davey's sitting next to her and he picks the frog up and he cuts his finger on a scalpel. But he throws the frog back at the boy. And the boy's like, oh, Davey threw a frog. And, and Miss Miss um, Mckelch is her name, Louise Fletcher, comes over and yes. just like goes off on this boy. And she is like, has this vitriol towards David that is totally confusing to me. Oh my God. She just, And I don't, because she doesn't treat the other kids like that. And she's like, you are a little bastard. This is, you are a horrible Mm -hmm. child. I am taking you and you, you deserve to be. Yeah.
0: A few things, a few things. Let me say, first of all, Heather's a bitch, whether she's an alien or not. I can't stand her. Heather is a, Heather's a pill from beginning to end. Um, Second of all. Mrs. McElch, and I think this is actually an area of the script that could have used a scene, seeing Mrs. McElch prior to alien abduction or alien transformation, because I think the contrast would have really helped understand the intentions of her performance. Because one thing that I think is kind of off is Mrs. McElch seems to have more of a human dynamic um, in the way she handles her dialogue and everything, like her interactions with Karen Black's character later on in the film. Um, Louise Fletcher makes these really, um, unique choices that I like in the sense of the delivery, but like, she, she, she's like, Hey sister. And like, I don't see these aliens calling anybody sister. They're all very like void of emotion. And she's still got an intensity to her that, I mean, either she's maybe under control by a more advanced alien. I don't know, but she's not necessarily always on the same wavelength as the other aliens and how they're portrayed. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And I'll get, yeah, yeah. I, I, definitely, I definitely have some notes regarding that. Um, but yeah, I just, it just, I, I don't know. It would be, it would have been nice to see some interaction with her and David before this particular yes. scene, because I don't know if it, if it's just like, because as a teacher, I mean, I'm, I'm a teacher. I'm, I mean, I've been in education for many, many years and as a teacher, yeah, you do, you do have kids that you don't necessarily like, but, uh, well, nowadays, or even in the eighties, the way she handles this child would have gotten her fired.
0: She's grabbing him and swinging him, and and she's like, "You little, ba- yeah, you little motherfucker!" Like <laughs> she's being real hostile with this kid. And in any scenario, in any setting, that's unacceptable. But um, I, I really enjoy her character and my what moment she has. Um, but uh, she does end up taking him to see Karen Black's character, who is like the school nurse counselor from like when I gathered, she's like, yeah, she's the nurse. Her name's nurse Linda. Right. Um, and she's a fucking delight. What a peach. I mean, and she instantly sympathizes with David because clearly the way that Mrs. McKelch is handling him is unacceptable. And, um, and she starts, here's where she kind of starts the trend of calling Karen black sister and, and that carries through the whole movie. Um, and she even has this moment where she like ticks, do you know, (laughs) like Mrs. McHale's like her as like a face tick. (laughs) I love it.
1: Yeah. She, their delight. It's it's really cool to watch those two actresses kind of work off of each other. Um, where Karen Black is playing kind of the more wholesome, you know, just nice, compassionate educator. And, you know, you get the complete opposite in Louise Fletcher. So it is really, really cool to see their kind of, uh interactions it's it's interesting to watch these two actresses that kind of gain a lot of prominence in the 70s and have a couple iconic roles under their belt you know kind of square off with each other um but karen black is a delight i mean i love karen black she is great in everything um and so it's really neat to see her in this film playing such a wholesome um likable compassionate character and right away she kind of bonds with with David, um, and is I, I think she kind of realizes that either A, there's something off with Miss McKelch, or B, Miss McKelch just de- generally has a very, um, inappropriate, inappropriate way, in, in yeah, inappropriate way of, of dealing with children. So she's going to try to at least protect David from her. Um, but yeah, after you get introduced to that, um, these are the moments too.
0: I just have to say that, like. I'm not always like, hey, Hollywood, get your kids cast in a film with you. But like the interactions between her and David, like she brings a much needed, a subtlety at times and genuine um, natural likability in a film filled with some really big performances. Karen Black is one of the more understated performances throughout this film. And it really is so much needed balance. And it does enhance a lot of these moments, these scenes that she has with both you know, Mrs. McHale with David—they're the, some of the more grounded, genuine moments that she has with him, um, and it really—it really helps that maternal bond works in this pairing.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, because I don't see it could have been a disaster with a different child actor. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, not that there aren't parts of this film that are aren't teetering on disaster with this kid, but at least his scenes with her are very realistic and very yes yeah
0: and so after school he um he goes back home and he instantly turns on the movie life force also directed by toby hoover uh which (laughs) i like that toby Hooper's willing to just put his film in another film i'm like yeah you know what i tip my (laughs) head because life force is a film we will be reviewing let me be clear it's on the list
1: okay (laughs) I haven't seen it, so I can't say anything oh, about it. Full frontal nudity. Oh, well, okay. You're you ready? got me right there. I'm mean, <laughs> in. Mean, I mean, next week.
0: <laughs> but so um, basically, his mother, um, he and his mother come to realize that the father, George, has gone a-missing. Um, and he's gone for a number of hours. Like, There's a transition to night where the mom is literally like, okay, now I'm worried. So they call the police, and these two cops show up. And they tell you know the the kid starts to go off. It's gonna like, hey, you're okay, but the
1: land of the pool yard.
0: Like, <laughs> and the mom's like, shut up.
1: But here's it okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, let me just backtrack because this is a scene that kind of confused me. Because uh, yeah, he gets the David gets home. He's watching Life Force, and then mom has a little robot that she has come out and say, David Gardner, and scares and blah blah blah. And yeah, David is trying to they have the conversation about the dad acting weird, and the mother's like, oh, he might just be stressed from work. And then they can't find him. Well, here's the thing: they don't even look for him. Okay. They they call the cops, but they don't, they don't, they've never like gone outside to look for him. So they call the cops and they're like, oh, well, he could be down by that, you know, by that hill over there. That's where he went last night. But they okay, before I'm sorry, I'm just rambling here, but if I have a husband. And he's missing, you know, and I'm in the house. I'm at least going to go look for him before I call the cops. I don't know. I was just like, that's kind of weird.
0: I think my assumption is is that he was supposed to be home from work because he works for NASA, which is a story arc
1: that does time. But his car was here. His, his car was already there, so they knew that he was somewhere right. else, but they didn't even bother him. right. They didn't even, like, search the house for him. They're just like, oh, but let's call the cops. Yeah. I mean, I maybe mean, it's just an, in a moment of weird editing
0: because what well, they literally go from daytime to them sitting on the steps in the dark, like waiting for him. Um, but I, I get I hear what you're saying with that. It was like it's a weird transition where she like, she's sitting on the steps. She just looks at him. She's like, "Okay, now I'm worried." And like, <laughs> it literally cuts the cops arriving.
1: Let's call the cops without going and looking for ourselves in the in beyond the hill. Um. <laughs> I think it's a ploy. I, I mean, I think it's a sloppy plot device. Let me put that out there to get the cops to go back to the hill. Yeah,
0: or to get the wife to go to back the hill.
1: Well, she, at least she didn't go. Well, she didn't go at that moment, but the cops go back, and then you see them kind of descend over the, the hill, and then about a, two seconds later, the dad yeah. pops out of the bushes with this other random guy who ha- happens to be Heather's dad yes. who works for the telephone company, and they're like, oh. And she's like, where were you? Ed. Like, Ed. He's like, Ed this is, is my Ed. friend, Ed. Um, yeah, and they're just like, they're just standing there like zombie, like zombie-like state. And I'm like, okay. You're- yeah, I think this is, like
0: you said, an example of like where maybe a little more, um, they're trying to give us the story without giving the full explanation for what happened. But as you sit in a piece it together, what I'm understanding is, and what I almost feel is he's not concerned about not coming back because his hope is that the wife will go beyond the hill. But the kid does not want to go beyond the hill. Keep that in mind. The kid does not want to go beyond the hill. They're trying to get anybody to go. Beyond the fucking hill. Um, because once you get beyond the hill, you come back like the cops do, completely possessed by the aliens.
1: Now the cops come back. Right after dad and Ed pop out, the cops come back up and now they are completely different. Yes. And yes. You can tell, you can tell that the dad and Ed know that the cops now are aliens as well or whatever have been injected because they have these, they have these like, I don't know if you've caught it, but they have these really like interesting little glances they give each other and like nods. I
0: love it. I love how these are the moments between the aliens that it seems like it's all one. They're like one hive mind almost. and It's very well played. Um, And these moments between these more like, these muted uh, portrayals of the aliens being very like robotic and everything it's very off-putting unsettling um, and and they don't like other actors acting off of them who are not possessed by this force are' very aware of it. like it's it's very much acknowledged I like that about this movie.
1: Yeah so that dad's home now Ed leaves. David goes to bed there's a, there's a kind of this ominous scene where the dad comes into David's bedroom. And David is laying there, like, freaking out, and and there's ominous music, and you don't really know what's going to happen, or you're like, oh, is the dad going to grab him and take... But all the dad does is take David's piggy bank with his pennies in it.
0: (laughs) Very threatening.
1: (laughs) Yes. He just grabs it and just slowly walks out of the room holding this, like, fish bowl with a bunch of pennies in it. And never revisited right? Is it ever revisited? (laughs) No. No. Well, it is sort of yeah. at the end, but we'll, yeah. Not, not in this context. <laughs> but there are there are a couple things that are not revisited in this film that kind of ticked me off that I would have liked yeah. to have seen. We'll get there. But David gets out of bed to go like look out the window because he, he, he hears his dad and mom talking and he proceeds to see his father leading his mother uh. over the hill. And all little David can do is he screams mom in like such it's it's
0: like with an echo like a reverb on it to the sky and then he like places his head down like no, like it's so dramatic um and like the mother <clears throat> there was a brief moment prior to this where yet again the mother was stating george you're acting very weird <laughs> like he is very off yet i don't know why she was coerced to go beyond the hill But somehow, some way, he does lure her beyond the hill, Um, and so the child obviously understands that now. When people go beyond the hill, shit happens. Um, And this moment where he screams to the sky, I guess then he goes to sleep because yet again, there's a very awkward cut to the next morning. Like he doesn't investigate, he doesn't look into it. It's just the next morning. He's sitting at the breakfast table.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was another thing that I was a little that was a little odd to me. Is like. That he wouldn't have at least tried to run down there and be like, mom, don't go, or something. But no, he just goes, to, he screams mom in this wailing way and then just goes to bed. <laughs> and is ne- the next morning...
0: Lorraine Newman's making breakfast.
1: She is making breakfast and she is completely different. She's rubbing her neck. Yeah, she's rubbing her neck. She has cooked what looks to be about three pounds of bacon and is burned and it's all charred to a black crisp but is it but it looks delicious the, <laughs> nonetheless some people like their bacon like black I mean I it, love it yeah I mean I don't this know. whole
0: scene the, the father and the mother are mowing down a, a heaping plate of charred bacon and they're crunching into it and the whole scene and the whole my mouth was watering the whole time I just couldn't resist this platter of crisp charred bacon
1: it is charred hey so if you like your bacon black this is the film for you yes because it's black and they're just yeah they're chowing down it well then she's talking about how she wants to take him on a picnic later surprise where does she want to go to the picnic at she wants to take him beyond the fucking hill Beyond the hill for a picnic and he's like no mom i don't think so and but the kid, again, he's very much like, no,
0: like this kid is not
1: buying into it. I like that about him. Yeah, he's very resistant to going over the hill. And he's like, no, I don't want to go. Forget it. And she's like, well, no. And she proceeds to take a package of raw hamburger out of the refrigerator. And then she's she starts putting making little hamburger patties out of it. And she's like, oh, well, I'll make hamburgers. You would like that, wouldn't you? And then she proceeds to shove raw hamburger in her mouth and start eating it.
0: These are the moments that I enjoy the most. These moments where the aliens are just not even dry. I love it. I love how she she literally just pours salt on raw beef and starts to eat it. And I don't know if this is back in when, when things were different on film sets and they let actors do these kinds of things, but I'm pretty sure that's really raw beef. And I'm pretty sure that's really salt. And Lorraine Newman should be acknowledged for eating raw meat on a film set if that's what she did. I hope that's not the case because that'll give you worms.
1: I don't know. My, apparently... Apparently, I just remember my mom and her, my aunt talking about it. Apparently, my grandpa used to eat raw hamburger meat. He put it in a bowl with like salt and pepper and just eat it. Yeah. So I don't that sounds know. very <laughs> dangerous.
0: That sounds like how people get diseases. Yeah. Well, he's,
1: hey, he's outlived most of my family.
0: Maybe that's the key with raw meat. And I do really love the, um, the performance from the father in the scene because again, like he's got it down, man. Like, as the mom's like, we'll go get, hamburgers and go on a picnic the father is like oh we'll have a wonderful time like the way he delivers his dialogue is very creepy
1: yeah yeah and then he david tries to run out of the house which i would too but he's like stop give your mom a hug and so it's a very cold hug yeah the mom kind of aggressively grabs him and hugs him and she she like won't let him go like, it's a, long, it's a long hug, and she's, like, not letting him go. And finally, he, like, breaks away and runs, you know, out the house. Um, yeah. And as he runs away, the parents just watch him, and ominously,
0: the father leans in, and he just says, later, as in, we
1: will kill this child later. <laughs> so, David goes back to school, and Miss McKelch is writing on the chalkboard, and there's a field trip at... There's a field trip at two o'clock and we're gonna get there because like is everything in this town revolver around this damn hill? They are taking a field trip to the fucking hill. <laughs> <laughs> what a sight.
0: This <laughs> right?
1: It's a giant sand. And all that's there is sand. It's just and she sand sand. she's writing on the chalkboard.
0: Oh, field trip, I need your permission slip. If I was a parent, I'd say absolutely not. I
1: don't want my child getting that fucking dirty. Don't know. They're staying home. A, you need a permission slip to go to the hill.
0: Okay. What a sight. <laughs>
1: But anyway, so uh, yeah, so he goes back to well, she goes. Miss McKelch goes into her little room, and David happens to follow her into the room, and it's kind of a slow shot of her. She's sitting with her her back to us, and David. Well, first he hears he hears that dialogue, like it is kind of important that dialogue where he like David
0: like leads into the hallway and just sees Mrs. McKelch talking with a cop, <laughs> and they're like, yes. We will be destroying the rocket. At <laughs> they basically, are just out like out in public discussing plans to destroy a rocket. And David's father is behind it; like he's the one who's like overseeing it. So David has reason to go in the classroom. He's like, "Hmm, this is very suspicious." <laughs> and then comes that follow shot,
1: which is paced very poorly. It is, it is. But you get the, basically what this is is it's a uh, reveal. A sp- that's supposed to be shocking. And I guess it is shocking um, of Miss McElch is sitting there. And as David approaches, she turns around and there is a giant frog in her mouth and she is gulping it down and swallows the motherfucker whole and then proceeds to napkin her mouth off. Like she just ate a delicacy and goes, gulp. this scene is not scary, but it's shocking. <laughs> All I can think about is, oh, bless her heart! You got an Oscar-winning actress to stick a frog in her mouth and pretend to eat it. Okay, Towie Hooper, come on, you are you're the man because it's very impressive.
0: And it's actually it's a well-handled scene. It's just yes, yeah, it's, it's like a shock. It's not really terrifying, but it is disgusting, and you can, like hear the sound of her gulping it down. It's a well-handled scene, and then pigtails Magoo Heather pops in and
1: she's like are well, you and he just like he like bum
0: rushes her he like, he like shoulder charges her and knocks her over and sprints from the
1: room and of course he runs to now they're on a first name basis i don't know i don't remember as a kid calling my teachers or my school nurse by their first name but david is now on a first name basis with this nurse because he's now he's calling her linda linda he's running down the hall and this kid can i tell you can we just mention this kid's run? This kid, every time this kid runs, he looks like the character of Sydney running in Scary Movie. That exaggerated, that arms are flapping everywhere. (laughs) Arms like over (laughs) there. Like, no. (laughs) He is literally running down the hallways. Arms are flapping above his head. Yeah, Linda, Linda. And I'm like, okay. Being
0: pursued by Louise. (laughs) Who uh, <laughs> was sprinting after him, threatening him, spewing venom at him? <laughs> like, like again, we get another scene of Mrs. McHelch manhandling a child in front of another teacher.
1: <laughs> yes, and this is where she's like, This he is a, he is the uh, an unruly little kid. I'm and she's like, Oh, all she does, i okay. I would love to have like five bucks for every time Louise Fletcher yells, David Gardner, in this film because I could probably finance my next film with that because she-, she only
0: refers to him in full name david gardner which at times is quite effective but other times it does seem very uncomfortable she yeah so she's always screaming full name david gardner chasing him down the hallway he runs to um to linda who of course takes him into the room and she's says to um mrs mccoach she's like uh what's wrong i you know he's um he's upset and and mrs mccoach basically like gets up in her face and threatens. She's like, I'll be back in five minutes. Like it's very, it gets very heated. <laughs>
1: it does. And she's like, um, she's like, no, I want to talk to him first. You're not, you're not getting him. He's in my office. And she's like, you're pushing it, sister. She calls her oh, I love it. Yeah. And uh, I'll be back. Yeah. And then then um, they go in the office and David immediately, being the smart little kid that he is, he asks to see the back of Linda's neck because now he has noticed he's no he noticed the 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 mark on the back of Miss McKelch's neck he noticed it on that little girl's neck the pigtails so now he knows okay so he noticed you know, so there's something up with the neck that's what they're doing so he immediately asked Linda to see the back of her neck there's nothing there so he is able to tell her about what he what's been going on that he thinks that a spaceship landed and happen with his dad and his mom and she kind of believes him pretty quickly I think I mean she's like oh you're just being silly but then he does tell her about the next yeah um, and so she has him wait right there she says wait right there so she goes back out in the hallway and she immediately runs back into miss Mckelch and um it was
0: accompanied by a rather like over-the-top like yeah. <laughs> Every time an alien, like, a person who's possessed, like, surprises somebody, there's, like, a sound effect that, like, I don't think the person is actually supposed to hear, but we as an audience are like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like this, like, sci-fi, like, yeah. <laughs> she, she, like, pops out of a corner and she's like, last day <laughs>
1: She wants David and she's like, you're going to give him to me. And, and uh, Linda's like, no, well, no, He he's really concerned with you because he said you have an injury on your neck. And so she, Linda is able to look at the injury and see that there's a bandaid. And, and she's like, oh, well, it's a boil. And Linda's like, well, I can help you with that and tries to, you know, and she's like, don't touch me. You're pushing it, sister. <laughs> yeah, you have a lot of nerve, sister. <laughs> These aliens, Whatever
0: alien is controlling... Mrs. McElch specifically is the, one of the sassier aliens because this aliens not putting up with shit. Some of the other aliens are, are.
1: It must be a gay alien.
0: Oh, it definitely is a gay alien. As we see later on when she's yucking it up, when she's yucking it up with the California raisins. We'll get to those in later. But, um, so, yeah, so basically, Linda, one thing I like, honestly, about the script is I mean, at first she's like, you're telling me a pretty tall tale, but the aliens are so like not subtle about what they're doing. And they're so, I mean, they're not, you know, they're not human. So they're trying to recreate humanisms and everything and, and they're not always succeeding. So it's pretty easy for Linda to start noticing that people are often because she's been clued in by David about things to look for. She's like, wow, these aspects of his story are, are coming together. The band-aids on the neck, Heather at one point comes to look for David there's a Band-Aid on her neck, so all these little pieces are starting to fall together. So she, at a very illegal turn of events, Linda <laughs> agrees to let David escape through her window.
1: Well, no, not only that, she gives him the key to her house, to her house, gives him his ad, gives him her address, and it's like, go hide in my bedroom, I'll be there. I'm like, okay,
0: this is- this is getting. I mean, if you're telling this story to a cop, it's going to be incriminating but the one thing I think that really sways her is like Mrs. McKelch is, is so outwardly venomous. Um, and, and I think Linda realizes the second time that they have a dialogue. Uh, Mrs. McKelch is not doing herself any favors in covering up her story, you know? Um, so Linda, I think is swayed just based off of the, in, like the turn of events in general, how, how Mrs. McKelch is talking to her, how things kind of fall one after another. It, it it's pretty easy for David's story to be proven true. I think. for her.
1: Yeah. Because she, yeah, she definitely believes it pretty quickly. Anyway. So David's out in the parking lot as he's running away, he sees his parents pull in. So he runs and, tried to, and hides by this van whose door just happens to be open. And then he sees little Heather and her pigtails come <laughs> and he hears Miss McKell. So basically what happens is David jumps into the back of this van to hide. And it ends up being apparently Miss McKelch's van, I'm assuming, because she gets in it and drives away. And he's in the back of this van that has all of these, you mentioned this scene earlier, all of these taxidermied animals that are just like randomly on the shelf in the back of this van. And there's a lot of close up sh- shots of their faces. And, um, very Texas Chainsaw Massacre moment
0: to me. It very gave me those vibes. And meanwhile, at the school, Linda is being confronted because the parents have shown up to get David and they're, so they start, you know, saying, well, this is, we're going to call the police. This is illegal, blah, blah, blah. And then they start asking, well, what did he tell you? What did he say exactly? Blah, 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 blah. And, and Linda already clued in. She starts to notice that all the questions they're asking are a little off. They're all kind of falling in line with what David was saying, um, and and so it's just kind of another, just one more layer to the onion of what she's starting to realize. Like there's truth, there's validity to his story.
1: Miss McKelch ends up driving to the hill and gets out of the van and proceeds to walk down the hill and go into this tunnel. And David being who he is, gets out and decides to follow her. Um, and... There's a layer. <laughs> yeah, this. I guess it's supposed to be the, the the spaceship that's under. I don't know. It's it's just these this huge layer of of tunnels and and elaborate like decor that's on the side of the walls. It's very very uh, interesting looking over the top. I don't know. But as she it goes, gives me a little t- a little
0: vibe of Fire in the Sky. <laughs> Remember the movie Fire in the Sky from the nineties? Oh yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like all these like tunnels and this weird like film doors. Like the doors are made of like a weird like almost like it looks like a cellular kind of like, lady substance.
1: As she approaches the doors, they just automatically open. Yeah, and close.
0: yeah. And so he's going through the tunnels and he sees um, Mrs. McHale walking through the the tunnel system, So he follows her. She goes into what is like, I guess, like a central room where he sees the two of the standout characters in this film, two of these alien minions. And the aliens, like, I am impressed by what they did with these aliens, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're always, like, land. Like, it's always, like, like, it's not like the effect is always well handled. They're obviously, like, men in suits with these gigantic headpieces. And the faces have, like, this big smile with, like, a toothy grin. And they, like, have a sense of humor. And, like, they make jokes. like But, like, in their alien language, they're always like... <laughs> <laughs> they're cacklin' ends And they get along great with Mrs. McElch. And they're always chatting it up. And so David gets into this layer where the where the California Raisin men are standing with Mrs. McElch. And, like, witnesses... Uh, another member enter the party (laughs) and it's this giant like brain man which i suppose is their leader and he's like a puppet as well and he's very well done but like it it all has kind of like a
1: teenage mutant ninja turtles vibe to me it cut yeah that this this like head brain thing comes out on this like conveyor belt (laughs) (laughs) of flesh (laughs) (laughs) and these these aliens they look like I don't they, they don't look like your traditional aliens. These look like elite, like giant fleas or something like that. They're standing on two legs, but then they're just their whole body is just like huge. It's, yeah, it's California raisins, is a very appropriate way to describe these. But, anyways, this head brain thing comes out on a conveyor belt and and lands, stops in front of a Lu, Louise Fletcher and it starts like moaning at her. It's like <laughs> <laughs> and then she proceeds to moan back at her oh it's going oh oh, oh. but she basically says the vowels to it like she's like a e i o u a e i o u i'm like what's going on here like seriously she's literally saying the vowels to this alien yes
0: it's very confusing and like i don't know if like exactly what kind of conversation they're having and if it's supposed to be an alien language but it is a weak try for it but basically, um, <clears throat> David's presence is given away as they're having this big moment with this brain man. One of the California raisins shows up behind David and like nudges him. But so uh, his presence is given away, and everybody starts flipping their shit. the The, the other California raisins start kicking their legs up in shock. A little, uh, uh, Louise uh, just starts yelling and one of the more effective moments in the sequence where she goes, David Gardner, Gardner, Gardner. I'll get you, get you, get you. David God, Gardner, Gardner. Gardner. Her voice is like echoing as, she, as he's running. It's very threatening and foreboding. He knows to run and he and he does.
1: Yeah, well, he runs out flailing his arms in the air. Ah! Um, he runs out. He's uh, He basically tries to go back to his house, but he sees cops there. Uh, And Linda just happens to be, I don't know how she got here, why she's here, but she's happens to be in this area, even though she was supposed to go home because that's where he was supposed to be. But she's in this area now and she grabs him and you know, like what's going on. And he takes her to where the tunnel was to show her, but it's not there anymore. Of course Um, they go back to David's house and they see the parents are there now and they're directing these like two guys that are in these orange jumpsuits with like metal detectors they're like, oh yeah, you need to go down to the go down the hill and, and it's down there. So they watch David and Linda watch as these two men go to this huge sand pit and are using a metal detector, obviously trying to find something that they must have been told was there. And then all of a sudden they get sucked under the sand.
0: Yes. <clears throat> two things. First of all, Linda's already, when she gets to David, she's questioning as she should, a professional, a teacher should be questioning letting a child climb out of her window and giving him the keys to her home. Um, she's questioning everything she's done, and she's like, oh, I'll make up a story. And like, right on cue, just in the nick of time, these two NASA guys show up with these metal detectors. And like, what happens is probably one of the most like standout visuals I have in the sense of, like, when I was talking about this movie being nostalgic, it's this moment. <clears throat> it's how people get abducted by these aliens it's different from any film i've seen i remember it from the original version of this film and i think in this version it's pretty pretty terrifying to be honest as people are standing in the sand it begins to like swirl beneath them and they're just sucked into it and linda and david witnesses happen and it's i don't know I, i mean i don't know why i find this to be such like a standout aspect of this movie but i really think seeing the people get sucked into the sand is just one of the scarier more memorable elements of what makes this movie work to me
1: yeah no it's terrifying because it's just there's always that fear of something under the sand Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yeah yeah it's very effective so they get sucked under the sand and then we find out later in the film where they end up and what happens to them but uh, Linda and David take off in her car and as they're pulling out Miss McKelch pulls in and now she's driving the school bus.
0: I find nothing and I mean nothing more terrifying than the visual of Louise Fletcher driving a school bus.
1: <laughs>
0: this moment is
1: horrifying. Yeah, she's just driving everything in this film. Yeah, but she's driving the school bus now. I mean... I don't remember my if we went on field trips. I never once remember our teacher driving the school.
0: And the way this this moment plays out, like, cause so <clears throat> Karen Black runs ahead, she's getting into the car, and David sees the bus coming and he starts running because the the way that everything times out, Louise Fletcher is chasing him down in a bus. And so she, like, pulls the bus over and gets out and starts running after him. And Linda, like, speeds up and, like, he jumps in the car. And it's just... It kind of shows, at this point, these aliens will stop at nothing to prevent their plan from
1: happening. Well, when the bus... When the bus pulled up as they're leaving the hill, it it had kids in it because she was taking the kids to the field trip. Mm But then that's never addressed again, like, what happened to the kids? Because, yeah, she... As soon as Linda and um, David pull away and get away, they stop at a gas station and Linda gets out to call the police and the school bus is right there. And um, there's, doesn't look like there's any kids on it now. So I don't know what Well, happened. the kids are in the sand. They, did they get there that quickly? They must. Have, yes. That's well. my assumption. The kids have all been dumped into the, <laughs> the sand. Well,
0: because keep in mind when they, when he saw the bus leaving, was when he left the school originally to begin with, remember? And so he got, the kids were in the bus driving away as, as the teacher got into her truck and drove up to the hill as well. So I'm guessing that they're all just being sucked into sand, <laughs> all these kids. Imagine the visual of an entire class of children just screaming.
1: <laughs> I wish we would have seen it. So yeah, they start, and then yeah, Miss Mikkel chases, ch- runs down the street screaming, David Gardner, David Godner. And then she's like, "Damn it!" She like kicks the ground. <laughs> it's yeah. Seeing Louise Fletcher in this film is just a trip because I'm I'm like going from Nurse Ratchet to the this this performance, well, and especially what happens to Louise Fletcher in this
0: film. Uh, <laughs> but we'll get there in a minute. <laughs> that was a twist I didn't see
1: coming. <laughs> they uh, so they go uh, of all places, of all places they could go. Hide. They decide to go to the school. Um, and they're hiding in They go in uh linda's office, but then for some reason let not explained. the police show up. Um Who are looking for them obviously? But how they knew I don't know how they know they were at the school or why they went to the school Why you would you think the school was a good place to hide is beyond me particularly when you know like Miss McElch is like out there Wandering around and that's probably where she kind of is going to gravitate towards But anyways, whatever So they hide, they run down in the basement while these two cops are looking for them. And you get this kind of scene, this little dialogue that sounds like they're going to start breaking into, I will survive, I will survive. Because she's like, I'm not afraid, I'm petrified.
0: (laughs) Oh, but I also love, like, I feel like as the scene escalates, this is one of those moments where the, the parental child energy translates really well. Because what, happens is these two cops come into this the basement of the school where they're hiding from the cops and um the cops basically see them and i'm not sure exactly, exactly again like many other aspects of this movie i'm not exactly sure why this happens but before the cops can shoot them or do anything out of nowhere a giant like bladed drill erupts through the floor with like giant blades on it. And, and what I'm assuming is this, this is the aliens being like, we have to get rid of these people, no matter what we are going to destroy them with this giant bladed drill, but they also kill the
1: cops in the meanwhile. Yeah, It's like a blender that just bu- bu- bursts up through the floor.
0: It's a great effect. Karen Black's scream during the sequence is phenomenal, phenomenal, but leading up to this, um, there's this whole like moment where Linda is terrified, understandably. So, and David, whom is, in, for being a child, is very like determined and in control. He like, covers her mouth to keep her quiet. And it's this really unique choice, but it felt very human because he seems like a very caring child, you know. Um and I really like love this little moment of the two of them hiding. But yeah, so this giant bladed drill comes up through the ground and it's a very cool effect. I mean like it is one of the bigger special effects in the movie. Um, No real violence or gore comes from it because uh Linda and David are able to flee. But like you were, I guess assume that the cops are just killed. And one thing I do like is it's kind of clear that to the aliens, once they put an implant in a human, like they're used as like a vehicle to get shit done, but they're also completely disposable. Like the humans, they're just tools to make their plan unfold. So like they will dispose of humans here and there as needed, if like if if it suits the situation, right? As we see here with the cops, as we see later with another character.
1: So they go after this happens, they He is whining about wanting to find his mom and dad. I don't knowing that they're aliens. It doesn't make any sense, but they go to NASA to speak to the general Wilson and NASA just lets him in. Yeah.
0: I mean, all he really needs to say is like my father works here, but I'm guessing his dad must be a pretty high up if that gets him some kind of authority. Um, because it's like mentioned a couple of times, but you don't really get a lot of like what the dad's, <clears throat> what exactly it is he does, but it does
1: get him in to see General Wilson played by James Karen. Yeah. So just, you just pull up and say, Hey, my daddy works here. And they let you into NASA. Um, and yeah, James Karen from return of the living dead, uh, is, is general, uh, Wilson. And He proceeds to, David proceeds to tell them the story about what's going on. And of course they're skeptical. Um, But Linda's backing him up. Linda is backing him up. She's like, this kid is, you know, he's he's being honest. So they're like, hey, can you step out? Take him out for a few minutes. And then the two guys that we saw that were sucked into the sand earlier are now called into his office, called into the office. Because David had
0: seen, while they were getting transported into NASA into the base. David even pointed out, he's like, there's those two from the, from beyond the Hill. So yes. So they do get brought into the office.
1: They're brought in the office. And as, as soon as general Wilson asks them about, um, Copper Hill, what they, what they did there, what they found there, they pull out guns, get ready to shoot them. But luckily there's other soldiers in the room that tackle these two men. And, um, as they're getting ready to arrest them, these two men just start going into convulsions. They just are stopped and, and, and killed by the lead alien, apparently doesn't want them to say anything. So he activates the needles that are in the back of their necks and kills them. And then you see the, the things come out of their neck. It's really disgusting.
0: It's disgusting. It's one of the cooler effects over the course of the whole film. Um, th- there's not a lot of violence. There's not a lot of gore. But this sequence is really one of the ones that like ooh, make made me actually like audibly respond because you see it like bust out of the skin of the neck. Their bodies are like, you're right. They're like convulsing and shaking, and and um <clears throat> and the and then, the, then they just lay and they're dead. And they even say it. They're like, General Wilson is like, they're dead. <laughs> so like you understand that these. What I like is that the aliens like they have a plan, obviously. But it's not like one of those alien races where some movies is like there's no way to stop them. Over the course of this, like you realize throughout the entire course of this film, these aliens don't have like necessarily this is their first time, I think, doing anything on Earth. They don't know exactly how to recreate humans, and they have like a fallback, like if one of these humans gets captured and they just like short circuit it. So like I do like that these aliens are just kind of like, we'll do whatever the fuck it takes to you know, like, take over.
1: <laughs> and, oh, and in the meantime, we do get some sort of side plot about they are going to take this rocket mission to Mars because they do think that there may be life on Mars because of something they discovered. Uh, and in the, at the same moment, David's dad brings a suitcase bomb to one of the workers who obviously is another alien and tells him that he needs to, it's going to be, it's activated and he needs to get it to where it needs to go. And what we see is that it is going, it gets, it gets, somebody in a giant semi takes the, the suitcase bomb and drives it to the rocket that is supposed to be launching in just minutes. There's a countdown for the rocket to launch that the rocket that's going to go explore Mars to see what's up. If there, you know, if there's going to be anything that's, that's going to show that there is life on Mars or whatever, but the rocket is blown up.
0: Yeah. Like the aliens succeed in this aspect
1: which again
0: it only goes to prove their existence here in the sand pit so they're not doing themselves any favors they're not discreet these aliens are not
1: discreet and well they could have they could have blown the that rocket up anytime like they could have blown it up yeah. while it was on the way they could have blown it up when it landed there they could have but they blow it up before it even has the chance to leave the the thing i wonder i i can't remember do they mention what it was
0: <clears throat> that was on mars that they want to investigate is it like a water thing do they state that i can't remember
1: they, they say something about how they how they um detected like yeah life or something movement but and because and then david's like oh well how could that be when there's no water and one guy's like, "Well, there's no water on the surface. We're thinking it's below the surface, which is why we're going to go there and find out." So it's something they detected. Something.
0: Yeah, you're right. There's that one
1: scientist who's um,
0: who's kind of there just for exposition, like the younger one. Um,
1: yeah, it's like they put like a skull or so- something on. Yeah. There. So um, so I mean,
0: obviously, this is enough proof <laughs> for the general Wilson to say we got to get to that fucking sand pit uh, beyond the hill, and so it's. everybody goes and grabs their fucking military vehicles and they're all headed there. And for some reason they do bring the child and Linda. Uh, I don't know exactly why they thought that would be wise. Maybe it's because they like needed him to like guide them exactly where to go. But everybody seems to know where fucking Copper Hill is in this, in this whereabouts in this town. So I don't know why they brought David, but he's there.
1: He is there. Uh, well, yeah, we know why they brought him, in, but that's addressed at the end of the film. But but they bring him. And this is where the film kind of kicks in because you get so much stuff going on. One group goes to the school and finds the hole there. Um, and then if, and they're trying to they're they're going to go down in that hole to, to get into the to the lair. But then at the actual Copper Hill, at the sand pit, you get all this action and and like like the ground starts shaking, and Rinaldi, who is one of the soldiers who happens to be, seems like the one that's maybe closest to the general, he falls into the sand and immediately gets sucked down. Oh my god, and the general is freaks out. Devastated. Yeah. He's, he's like,
0: Rinaldi! That's why, yeah. not get out of there! And then he gets sucked, in. he's like, no! Like, it's so... I mean, for a general, it's a big reaction for me in my mind when i think of general i think like desensitized uh having seen death before uh but god he's rinaldi really gets him so then he's like go put bombs off in there
1: it's (laughs) a very extreme reaction and yeah that's what i said that's that's why i said it's one of the one of the ones that seems to be closest to the general because yeah the general is (laughs) really tore up about it uh because other people die he could seem to care less but when Rinaldi dies, oh, because there's another scene with Rinaldi, and it's the same thing that's that comes up here in a few minutes.
0: <laughs> Rinaldi!
1: <laughs> it's such a prominent name. Maybe to be they, screaming with maybe it was a son or maybe they well no Wilson, Rinaldi. Maybe they were secret lovers. You don't know. Maybe it was. I was thinking it could be a
0: lover. It was a scream of losing a lover. I mean, I've never lost a lover, but if I did, it would be in a similar tone. But um, but yeah, so there are those two, like, you know, meanwhile, you've got this other like group of soldiers who have gone in through the school and they've taken um uh a, a, the one scientist the younger one I think his name Weinstein. Weinstein I think they refer to it, it Weinstein. Weinstein Weinstein it is Weinstein and so they've taken him because he's kind of like one of the top scientists for like researching Mars from my understanding so um when they're like sneaking through this is very confusing they're like creeping through the tunnels of the the spaceship and they come across a California Raisin Man, two of them, one of which is wearing a very ornate earpiece um, shaped like a a disco ball.
1: They are very chatty.
0: (laughs) They are having themselves a time. They're yucking it up. They're chit-chatting. And so the, the cops, or not the cops, the military, they all take place with their guns. The two California Raisin Men see them, and right before they shoot them, Weinstein's like, no, 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 wait, let me try to talk to these very menacing-looking aliens. These aliens are not designed to be, like, in any way, anything but threatening. If I saw them, it would be a shoot-first instinct, but for some reason, this guy is like, let's try talking to them, and he's, like, cooing to them and talking to them, and he's like, I've done it. I've made contact. And right then the one wearing the earpiece proceeds to use it to like
1: disintegrate him. Yeah. That wouldn't be my first thing to go talk to these things because they do not look like approachable at all, but they're, they're entertaining. They entertain him for, you know, they entertain him for a minute with his little, Oh, you guys, we know, you can understand me. I got something for you. And he gives him back the neck thing and then he's all happy. Oh my God. He puts his little hand. <laughs> yeah, they understand me. They understand, and that right as he's like telling the group that, oh, he that, they they just dis- they disintegrate him So that causes the group then to open fire and just shoot the fuck out of these things. Yeah. which I kind of felt bad for Well, which they've got these the- little
0: hands.
1: I mean, they're very large, but they have these smiles that make them seem very approachable. Maybe that's what it is. And they're like. Their noises they're making when they're getting
0: shot. Oh, yeah, it was kind of a sad loss. And one of the gorier deaths in the film because they do get completely just obliterated
1: with machine guns. Yeah, there's tests, tests and stuff that fly on the, to the soldiers. Meanwhile, Beyond the Hill. Yeah, I mean, because this is confusing because it's flashing back between two different places. It really gets confusing. It really does. This is where editing and shit, they could have just. To one, 'Cause you have the one group that's at the school hole, then you have the other group with David and Linda that are at the actual actual hole. And it just it's really confusing. But now you're back to David, and for some reason this just doesn't make sense to me, and I can't wrap my head around it. He wants to go there he wants to go get his mom and dad. And he there he knows they're aliens. I just Here is
0: my issue with this moment. He has up to this point been a series of I don't want to say good decisions, but he's been a resourceful child, and he's been the source of reason in this film. And he, and then he literally, like in the middle of chaos, he's like, "I gotta go get my parents," and he full on sprints into this hand pit.
1: Yeah, it makes zero sense because it it is a character, uh, a, a character. It's out of character because you're right. This this kid, this whole movie has been trying to avoid this fucking sandpit he doesn't want to go to he's avoiding his parents he didn't want to give his mom a hug he did not want to his dad his dad to walk him to the bus stop he knows what's going on so why all of a sudden would he be like i want to go get my parents to the point where he runs into the sandpit where he just saw several people get sucked into the sand and what happens linda runs after them after him they they fall into the sand and they get sucked into the sand pit. I'm like, you little fucker. I, I don't understand. He really,
0: he made things a lot worse by going into the sand and General Wilson's like, get that kid and she she runs in after him and then they get sucked in and it's terrifying and um, um when they come to, when David comes to down below, Linda is knocked out.
1: Yeah, and this is where you see um, like Yeah. What the platform does with the, it's like this alien arm that comes down and you're, it puts the person face down on this like prop thing where their neck is propped up and this alien comes down and shoots a big old long looking spike nail into the back of your neck, implants it.
0: Yeah. And there's this whole sequence where like David's watching it as this drill is like slowly, it is like a very dramatic sequence, meaning like, it is not fast. It slowly makes its way towards the neck.
1: Yeah. It's just crazy because this is where like David's awake now and all that he's all that Linda's knocked out. And now Miss McKelch is there and she's like standing above on a platform just laughing hysterically. And it's like, is she supposed to be like one of the like leaders of this whole alien group or something? Because it sure comes off that way that's what I've gathered also because of the way that she communicates.
0: Like I said earlier,
1: I feel like she has to be a more
0: like, she's obviously in more control over this body than some of the other aliens are over other people because she has the most, um, her responses to everything, you know, are um, uh, pretty, I'm um, so term Like there's, there's like an emotion, there's an anger, there's a rage to it. Whereas everybody else seems very um, robotic She's, I feel like she's got to be under control of somebody more specific. It's not really made clear, but um, yeah. No, she is definitely like portrayed as like being this grand figure until she, like,
1: what happens with her? Well, what happens? We're getting there because David, uh, she has the California raisins bring David to her. And she is there with the brain, the big head brain thing that's on a conveyor belt. And David is like begging his, begging this brain thing not to kill his parents, not to hurt Linda, to let everyone live. And he gets, you know, he's like, you can't do this to people. And she's just, Miss Kelch is there just mocking him and laughing at him. And then the brain is like, you poor boy, you poor boy. And then David proceeds to hit it run up to him and be like, you fucking punch him. He punches it. He's like, you motherfucker and starts punching this brain and And McElch tries to grab him and he literally hits her in the face with a bag of pennies and she like collapses to the ground in the most dramatic way. She's like, oh, oh, and she gets back. Oh my god, this is so fun. She gets back up and is like dazed and just trips and fall, falls into the mouth of one it is so ridiculous. She literally trips and falls into its open mouth. And it's a like California raisin man. Yes, and these things were nice to her up until this point, but the thing proceeds to start eating her. <laughs> and the other one. So not only that. So he's he's eating her
0: very much similar to the way she ate the frog earlier. I do think it was like a, a nod to that because he like full. He just swallows her whole and her, I mean, we are seeing Louise Fletcher's legs kicking. <laughs> She's screaming as as California raisin consumes her whole. As the other California raisin is like oh,
1: it's laughing, it's like oh, like chuckling.
0: <laughs> He's loving it. Things are going awry, and this one don't seem phased one bit. He's all about it. He's like, this is the, the turn of events I was hoping for.
1: <laughs> it is crazy. I just love. I had to rewind it and watch it like five times when she just because she literally just trips. It's not like the thing grabs her and puts it or puts her in her mouth. She literally stands up and like trips and falls into its mouth. And I guess
0: he's like, might as well have a snack. I mean, they're these are big, these creatures are very large. And this is a point where they're they're like sometimes they look really well done, and sometimes they do look like they're made out of a rubber material. And as he is swallowing Louise Fletcher, it is like. It is not this the, the best moment for these creatures, but it is quite an entertaining scene. It really plays out very well. And it does
1: give David a chance to save Linda. Yes, because now every the general has entered into the um in, into the into the into the lair, and Linda is the time is ticking because she's on the platform and this thing is inching closer and closer and closer. And as the general enters to stop it, who shows up? Ronaldi. With his gun, Fucking and he is like, you can tell though, Ronaldo's trying to fight it. He's like, "Please shoot me. I don't want to do this." Please. And he's trying to fight it, and the general's like, "Not you, Ronaldo. Not you, Ronaldo. I need you. I need you." <laughs> Not you, Ronaldo. It really is very passionate. It is very passionate, and Ronaldo can't fight it, and he starts. He. Sh- Starts opening fire and they kill him and they shoot him. And the general's like, No, no, we gotta get revenge. So they basically burst into the lair and just start shooting everything, gunning down all of these California raisin creatures. And there's just now there's way more of them and they're just blowing them up. And they're the head, the head thing on the platform is up there laughing and screaming and they're shooting it in. And it's just chaos. It's
0: chaos. It's-, it's tentacles flailing. It's got those like nubbin tentacles, you know, like the,
1: the- there's re- like some of the men are getting electrocuted by the brain is now shooting out like laser beams. It's a shit show. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's a fight for their lives. So basically, yes, they kill everything. I think the brain too, because the brain is like bleeding and then slowly gets pulled back into its thing. And it's, like, it's creepy. So I think it's dead. I don't know. I'm assuming and yeah. then they are able to go over and shoot the, the thing that's going to implant the implant into Linda's neck. They shoot that. Yes. So she's able to be saved. Yay. And she comes to and they're trying to get out and everything is closed and they find this egg thing. Layers. <laughs> you know I'm talking, they find this thing. Cause David, David apparently knows what it is. He's like, Oh, grab that. We, we can use that. And, we missed the whole, and it's not important. It came up once, and then they try to use it now, but it's not really. Apparently, what powers the, this spaceship is, the spaceship. is copper. Yeah. Yes. And so that's why the, the dad pennies. was stealing the pennies at the beginning. That's why the people were stealing the copper wire at the uh, NASA facility, and now right. David finds this like egg that has a literal like coin slot in it. Yeah. <laughs> It literally is like a a (laughs) penny-operated spaceship. (laughs) Oh, and David just happens to have a penny because his dad gave him a fancy 1952 penny earlier in the movie. He puts the penny in the coin slot, and literally the thing starts like shooting (laughs) lasers and fire out everywhere. And they they are able to bust a hole in the in the tunnel and get out. Um, And in the meantime, they have planted a bomb in the spaceship. So as they get out, the spaceship starts to leave, and David's parents emerge and start chasing.
0: Him. Oh yeah, they're well. They're still under the possession. The kids are still under the or the the kids. The parents are still un, like under the influence of the the uh, whatever's been drilled in their heads. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, they they start chasing him. They're like David right 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 so they're trying to lure him back and he's like mom and dad i love you but no which see doesn't make any sense because five minutes ago he was running into a sand pit to save him okay so you're writing their characterization there toby i don't know he didn't write the script but he as the director he could have remedied that and been like right he,
0: yeah yeah there there are some different link back and forths with the with certain plot points especially towards the end that are confusing and i
1: wanted to see and i really wanted to see all of the alien kids but we never yeah. had
0: to no, no. And they, you know, they destroy the drill and everything, but like, it's one thing I question with the parents, because when you see them here, they are still under the, the possession, but like, what's the difference between when certain aliens, like, you know, the two aliens that are shown earlier <clears throat> um, in at NASA, when the, you know, once it's detected and the, the, the pieces drill out of the back of their necks, um, like what, the significance of like so, the, so the parents are still under the possession, but like who's operating that? How is that? Like, w- what is preventing them from eventually having that happen to them? Because the the drill's been destroyed, things are going awry. You know what I mean? Like, but yet, but still, the parents are still in full alien mode.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of little things that are just best left yeah. on. But you know what? They can be unanswered because the ending is one of those pop-out endings that allow everything that happened to be not maybe so um, explainable or needs an explanation. Uh, Because what happens is basically David and everybody run out of the spaceship. His parents are chasing him. The spaceship goes up into the sky and it explodes. Okay. It explodes. Fire is going everywhere. And right as his parents are catching up to him, What happens? Um, with with the spaceship. What? No, the spaceship has already blown up. His parent, right? It's right as his parents are getting ready to grab him. They're running towards his house. He wakes up. Oh, from
0: yes, from the yes, it's a nightmare. It is in tradition of the original film because it's the same shit. They didn't really put a new twist on it.
1: No, no. So he wakes up. So
0: it was a dream. Yes, it is, Apparently. which is, I don't want to say it's disappointing. I just wish that would have been.
1: It's, uh, it's disappointing. I was disappointed. Yeah. but um, because I mean, then it's just like, I hate when movies do that. I don't know. That's just me because I've invested all this time into this movie and then to find out, well, it's a dream. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I, uh, I think it explains, sorry. I think it explains a lot though. Because a lot of this movie was not gelling with me. I was, I was, it was entertaining, okay? I'm not giving it that. The movie is very highly entertaining. A lot of it wasn't gelling with me until this happened because then I was like, oh, okay. So this is David's dream. He is the main protagonist of the movie. The movie is always told from his perspective. Yeah. Um, so it really kind of makes sense that he, throughout the movie, acts the way he does and that people are just so willing to listen to him yeah well and even when you
0: tie into the beginning of the film with the he and the father looking at the night sky talking about the stars and why he would have a dream like this like it does it it kind of does all come full circle i guess kind of going off what i was saying about like the parents like the one thing i feel not you know unsatisfying is but because the parents are so likable i just wanted to know what the conclusion is is like if they have that piece drilled into the back of their heads are they destined to die no matter what or can they be saved you know like that's more along the lines of what i was saying with that like i'm um because basically all you see is like people who've had that implanted in their neck like there's not really a there's not it's there's no shown way of like overcoming that or or removing
1: it you know yeah i was just going to assume that they would probably once the spaceship blew up and the thing that you know was controlling them was dead that they would just die yeah their heads would blow up or something is what i'm thinking yeah 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 but we don't get that answer we don't get a lot of answers but like i said the movie because it was a dream it was david's dream it makes a lot of sense that of what happens in the movie generally probably wouldn't really happen in real life. You're not going to pull up to NASA and be like, Oh, my dad works here. Let me, and be able to see the general of NASA. That's not going to happen, but because it's a dream and he wants to be the hero because his whole thing is he wants to be an astronaut. He wants to, he's, he's very intelligent. He has a goal. So this is like his, his dream is like his um, visualizing himself being this, you know, hero, this astronaut that's able to go to space and look at Mars and people. So it makes sense that this little kid has had so much control or pull throughout this film.
0: Yeah. And I guess it does excuse some of like the simplistic, there's a few simplicities, like certain things that just don't make sense that, yeah, I mean, basically what you're saying, but there are some moments that's like, Ooh, like in, in a normal reality that just wouldn't fly or wouldn't jive. But in the sense of this kind of dream world that he's apparently in, that makes sense. Um, but no, I do, I do hear what you're saying in the sense of like, it is kind of like, I'd really like to see like a real grand conclusion to all of this, especially with the final, like 20 minutes of this becoming such an epic sequence with like the explosions and the destroying and killing all the aliens, the UFO leaving again. Um, I would just like to know more conclusion. I'd want a happy ending. I guess this is what I mean. This is a happy ending because it technically didn't happen, but well,
1: sort of, because yes, yeah, so the, since the story was told through David's perspective, it's his dream. Then we, we we can excuse a lot of the stuff in the film that just didn't jive. And like I said, that's kind of what I said. The film was very seems like it was very much meant for kids, because now the the film is being told as we know from a kid's perspective. So that really does, like you said, make a lot of the simplistic stuff, some of the way that the adults act, make a little bit more sense. Yeah, um, because yeah. this is David's. This is David's world. This is his vision of what should how this would happen. But anyways, he tells his parents about, um, about his dream. And they're like, Oh, that's, that's insane. The dad's like, Oh, I do like the, the, the aliens and the copper having to power them. And the mom's like using her alien Connie Conehead voice that she used in Saturday night live, uh, Lorraine Newman. And yeah, to, to kind of tease him. Um, right. And so I thought that was kind of a neat little throw in thing that they did. Yeah. She says, talks the exact same way as Connie Conehead did. Uh, and anyways, the parents go to bed and David goes and looks out the window. And what do you know? It's all happening. (laughs) It's all happening. He sees the bright light, his face, his eyes get wide, his face like contorts. And you see exactly what, and he runs into his parents' bedroom, opens the door and just immediately starts screaming bloody murder. Bang. The film ends. So I don't know how to interpret that. I guess you interpret it two ways. You interpret it as, okay, this shit's really happening now, or you interpret it as, this is just another dream. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whatever he saw. Which they fine. never show. You know,
1: <laughs> which leaves us
0: on a cliffhanger. But overall, like, I don't, um, I don't have a lot of gripes with this movie. It's so entertaining. Absurdly so. But it's so entertaining beginning to end. Like, when I use the term nostalgic before we started this, like I have to come back to that watching this film for me after quite a long time, it's been years, it's been years watching it for me was a very, um, reminiscent experience. And I remembered so many moments. That I was like, Oh my God, like the whole scene with the frog, but even like, like the visual of Heather's pigtails in the, in the, um, nurse's door like the silhouette of the pigtails. I was like, I remember that shot. I remember all these little things, like you, uh, coming back to it. Um, I mean, I guess it makes a, a movie good is is being able to go years and years without seeing a movie and coming back and being impacted and remembering key aspects of it, even though you haven't viewed it for so long. Like I felt like it had been kind of all these things were kind of like ingrained in my mind and my memory, which was really a great. I really enjoyed revisiting this film. Um It's fun.
1: I could, I could see that. Yeah, it is fun. I wish I would have watched it as a kid. Like I wish I would have actually sat down and watched it as a kid. Like I said, I know I've seen, I know I've seen pieces of it. I just, I know I've never seen, I never saw the whole thing until I watched it now because I do remember, but I know I never watched the whole thing because I don't remember the ending. being. I don't remember right. it being a dream. I don't remember a lot of the stuff I do remember scenes. Like either I saw them or like it was on TV and I just caught it and turned it over. I don't know. But as a kid I could see this movie having such a great you'd have such a great time with this film. Oh yeah.
0: Because it's scary, but it's not like overloading your senses scary. Like
1: it's very like fairy tale-ish. I don't know. Um
0: it's yeah it's larger than life.
1: Performances are great. It did not deserve to be the box office bomb or critical bomb that it was because we have to put that out there. This film Kind of sadly ended Toby Hooper's career in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it made under five million on a uh, domestically on a seven million budget, and it really just was kind of yeah, it was a
1: bomb. And it was it was panned by critics, and it, he he really did not do much after this. So uh, that's it. yeah, and like we said, it was nominated for two
0: razzies one was for worst supporting actors for louise fletcher but the other was for worst special effects and while i do have moments when i see the special effects and, and i think like oh those are kind of like i mean they're really trying but like like some of the alien moments are a little weird for the most part the effects are not that bad i mean especially considering this 1986 like the effects are not that bad. Like the the brain alien is pretty impressive. A lot of the moments with the California Raisin Crew are rather impressive. Um, and like, I definitely don't think it, it, it by any means deserves that title of the worst
1: effects. But the Razzies, you can't take you can't take no. the Razzies. That's that's one of the biggest joke awards. And you don't, awards and quotes because it's just they they their whole existence is to nominate you know, the most prominent people they can because they know it's going to get them attention because if the worst films of the year never are nominated for Razzies. They're more concerned about nominating big names in in movies that maybe got bad critical reviews because they they know it's going to get them attention. But whatever, that's my rampage. But yeah, that is Invaders from Mars. It's a great film. It's fun. I'm glad it it kind of got a little cult classic resurgence here lately. Tons of fun. Um, If you can forgive a, a few little minor things that I wish the film would have done better or more tighter. But other than that, yeah, it's it's a blast. It's 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 not boring I mean, we're trying to compare it to last last week's Shockma Which is I thought was a chore to get through in many parts. This one was a lot of fun. It's nonstop. The, I mean, it's it's from the get-go the action and, and stuff starts right away There's not a lot of exposition in this film. It gets it gets going pretty quickly so, yeah this, this was a fun watch so I'm happy you like it I'm happy you liked it and I I'm really trying to like
0: with my titles I'm trying to pick films that like I mean instinctively I think we always want to talk about the films we love the most you know the the best pieces of cinema I'm trying to find film pieces pieces of film that um maybe are like you know flawed to a certain extent like like we said is this the best film I've ever seen no is it perfect absolutely not is it enjoyable absolutely and like I said does it invoke something in me when I watch it because of uh, reasons from my childhood. Yeah, like there's something about this film that makes me want to revisit it. Um, And now having revisited, it's definitely like things like, like I said, Karen Black's performance, the warmth she exudes. You can definitely see that parental bond between her and her actual son. Um, Some of the effects, like the sequence with the drill coming through the ground are really big and impressive. And um, yeah, it's a great combination of like a family-friendly, like ET esque sci fi movie, and like some of the more, like there are moments of violence, like when you don't totally expect them. So, um, I don't know. I think it's a great film. I really hope that our listeners have seen it. If not, check it out. It's definitely worth watching, especially if you're a Toby uber fan. Like, I'm, I'd be shocked if you haven't seen it, but it's definitely worth visiting. And um, I'm happy you enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I did. I did. I really enjoyed it. It, it, it was a fun watch. Definitely, definitely a fun watch. Yeah, so um, my pick for next week, I'm going to f- go back to what I know best and what I love to talk about best, and that is 80s slashers. So I really want to discuss with you the 1982 slasher flick Final Exam. Final Exam. Um, i, I- it's not one of the more well-known slasher films from the eighties. I do hear a lot of people talk about it. I do get to hear it mentioned quite a bit when people make posts about, Oh, where are some 80 um, slasher flicks that are underrated or that you know, people might not, not know about. It gets mentioned a lot. Um, it's directed by yeah. Jimmy Houston and it basically is about a college campus that is being stalked by a, uh, a knife wielding killer. But the film has some very memorable, um, and some may say I, I use this word a lot with films, problematic sequences in it, um, but I think it's worth discussing. I think that this film does a lot of things much different than ninety-eight uh, percent of slasher films in the eighties were doing. So I'll just leave it there. So it will be—it will be a good conversation to have. I'm excited?
0: Yeah, I'm ready to. I um, mean, after the last two uh being t- two completely different genres. Um you know, alien sci-fi and killer monkey. Um I'm excited to get back to just the basics. A slasher.
1: It's a fun slasher. And then my next my next pick will be a slasher too, but I think it's gonna be a slasher that it's gonna get people really excited because it's one that people generally love and I'm excited to talk about it. But have you seen Final Exam? No. Okay, so yes, that's great because Again, I feel like this film does a lot of things differently than a lot of slasher films. I personally, well, no, we're going to save it. Watch Final Exam, people, if you haven't seen it, and tune in for our next episode next week when we discuss discuss it. Because it is not, I'm going to say it's not your typical, structurally wise, it's not your typical slasher film, okay?
0: And afterwards, we will be having an exam on Final Exam, so we expect you to listen.
1: All right. So yeah, this was fun. I'm glad we tuned in. So I'm excited to talk about final exam. It'll have to be back when you get back from your little Atlanta adventure. Woohoo! Can't wait. And I can't wait for Atlanta. I can't wait for final exam. Yes, there you go. You better watch it. Watch <laughs> it on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I will. Don't you worry,
0: uh-huh. but Troy, it's so I'm so happy we got to get together this week. I was worried with our schedules, but here we are, professionals.
1: Here we are. We did it. We,
0: did. we landed that plane. We did. Well. Listeners, you know the you know the drill. If you've been listening, give it a like, give it a share, give it a review. Not that this us saying this actually does anything. One of these days, someone will.
1: Yes, because it's been the same. Please, if you if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please just take a second and give us a five. Just click the little five stars. For the love of ham, we're giving you hours out of our week. We've been at the same number of ratings for like a long time, and I'm like, okay, I know there's more than. Six people that have listened. What more do we have to give you? Do we have to give you our blood, vials of our own blood? If people don't, it, I'm, I will say that it does help. Podcasts that get more ratings show up, you know, in, in searches, like people that go on Apple podcasts to search for horror movie podcasts. The ones that have higher ratings are going to populate. And being the knowledgeable sources
0: of wisdom that we are on the horror, the horror movie genre, people need to know. People need to hear what we have to say.
1: Okay, so with that, we'll wrap it up. We're done bagging. Okay. Have a great night, everybody. And we will talk to you next week about final exam.
0: Final exam. Good night, Troy. Thank you.